When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a Tuesday, November 28th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, jam-packed show for you guys today uh, NFL Super Friends here on a Tuesday so that means SB Nation's JP Acosta and USA Today's Jarrett Bailey join uh, me on this very program to talk all things NFL Week 12 uh, we recap uh, what happened over the course of a weird week uh, with Thanksgiving games and games on Friday and uh, just over the weekend and uh, a very forgettable Monday Night Football game between the the Vikings and the Bears. So we touched on that a little bit, but talk about the big duel between CJ Stroud and Trevor Lawrence uh, in the AFC South. The Steelers offense looking spicy. Kenny Pickett's best game as a Steeler uh, now that Matt Canada is no longer calling plays on offense in Pittsburgh. We talk about the Panthers firing Frank Reich after... Um, less than one year uh, in Carolina where they might go for their next head coach and then uh, what this means for Bryce Young and what we've seen from Bryce Young uh, to this point in his rookie season. We also talk about Russ and uh, Sean Payton and the five-game win streak for the Denver Broncos who are really cooking and look like they are a real, real threat to make the AFC playoffs as a wild card. So who deserves more credit in terms of the revitalization of the Denver Broncos along with uh, some Bills talk and whether or not Sean McDermott uh, is long for the head coaching position in Buffalo uh, with another heartbreaking loss on the road to Philadelphia on Sunday night. So all that and more coming up on today's edition of the program. Don't forget, folks, if you are a first time listener, first, welcome to the program, this daily national sports show out uh, here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, thank you for checking out the show. And if you like what you hear today, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And then of course, if you are already a subscriber and love this very show and you haven't already done so, please make sure you hit that pause button right now and you leave this show a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps other people find the show and it helps this independent show continue to grow a little bit more each and every day. So if you could take care of that today, I would greatly appreciate it more than you know. You can get in touch with the show at chasedomospodcast at gmail.com. So any NFL questions for myself, JP, Evan, 
Jarrett um, for a future show, email us at uh, chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at podchasethomas. Check out the homepage at chasethomaspodcast.com. All kinds of great stuff, links, info about the show, all that good stuff over on the new website at chasethomaspodcast.com. Always check out the newsletter uh, with updates about the show and new episodes and all that good stuff and all the writing that I'm doing, Sports Renaissance Man dot substack dot com sports renaissance man that's me check that out today and subscribe in your email sports renaissance man dot substack dot com all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast <laughs> um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right hello and we're back to another episode of the nfl super friends here on the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq joining me two-thirds of the nfl super friends no evan swords of when i have this week evan will be back next week but uh jp acosta is here of sbnation.com jp good evening sir how are you doing great doing great it was a uh... It was a game on Monday night. It was one of the games I've ever seen, but happy to be here. I'm not going to lie. Couldn't do it. There's just some games you're just not watching. Like, I, I didn't even have it on one of uh, my second screen. There was, I, as much as I love Josh Dobbs, I can't force myself to watch Bears, Vikings for two and a half hours, three hours on Monday Night Football. I just can't do it. It's It was not fun. Well, it was fun for a little bit, and then it got really not fun very fast. Speaking of not fun, a guy who watches a lot of not fun football every <laughs> single Sunday, Jarrett Bailey of USA Today, the pump fake behind the steel curtain. Jarrett, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. Um, I did have to watch that game, uh, you know, considering it's it is the job of JP and I to watch and talk about even the worst of games. Mm. Um, but I was also watching Monday Night Raw for the return of one CM Punk. And got to say... Not my favorite, not my favorite return promo ever. But um, so I had it on two screens, paying more attention to the wrestling side of things than the football side of things. And um, CM Punk scored as many touchdowns as the Chicago Bears did. So there's that. There is that. It's the little things, folks. It's the it little is. things. Uh, I do know the Bears love throwing screens. That I do know. Uh, the Bears are in on screens. And I'm very curious in the Justin Fields market. What does that look like uh, this offseason? I don't know. I don't know, man. That's. I think I think it's pretty evident they're going to clean house. Um, yeah. If that means polls as well, then whatever. But my goodness, like Eberflus isn't, Luke Getze is not the answer. Um, and if that means that they got to go new quarterback, I mean, if they do go with a new regime, that's likely what they're going to do. You got to ask yourself what teams need a quarterback. Um, and there's very NFC South team here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely in the conversation. Could it be a Tampa Bay? Could it be your Atlanta Falcons? I think maybe we'll see, but he'll, it'll be a, there'll be a market for him. It won't, I don't think it'll be gigantic, but there, there'll be a market. There will be a market. I just, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, obviously, from here, maybe the Falcons show interest. But the Falcons could have also had Justin Fields outright uh, during draft time. They could have just simply drafted uh, Justin Fields, and they went with Kyle Pitts instead um, that particular year. So, I don't know. I have my doubts that Justin Fields is a future Falcon. But I am curious where he ultimately um, ends up. But, folks, 
that's it for the Monday Night Football reaction. Not a big one on this edition <laughs> of the pod. Just not a lot happened there. It's a, It doesn't matter. This one doesn't matter. We're not going to dive into it like what we saw last Monday night on this very show, but that's the nature of the beast. Some Monday nights, we're going to have an immediate reaction where we are like, what just happened? This is not one of those Monday nights. Instead, we're going to pivot uh, to a team that uh, won their football game and I think had the most fun of anyone over the weekend. Uh, it's Mr. J.P. Acosta's Jacksonville Jaguars with a big win over the future that being CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans and some great red uniforms, which I love. I don't know why those are not their primary uniforms. The red looks really good. And when you think Houston, you think red, like the Houston Rockets, the Houston Dynamo. Like, I think they should lean way more into that red, the Houston Cougars. It's just, I like cities, speaking of color combinations, like Jarrett, your Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, black and gold. Like, I like when cities just stumble on a color scheme across the board. It's uh, it's cool. Houston, don't ever think it. Get rid of the blue. Just go red and white, red and yellow, whatever. But uh, you have something good there because the red looks really clean with those helmets. I, but that is neither here nor there. JB Acosta, what did you see from Trevor Lawrence winning the duel against CJ Stroud on Sunday afternoon? I mean, those were two really good quarterbacks going head to head. I mean, I think a lot of CJ Stroud's like just overall him being amazing, which he was again phenomenal. I think the plays they made out of structure really stood out to me. We kind of forgot that Trevor Lawrence is really, really, really good at this. Like he's a mm. really good football player. Um, someone on this show said that CJ Stroud was everything Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be. And I pushed back on it. I am still taking that victory lap because Trevor Lawrence is still very good at football. I think mm. One of the issues with Jaguars this year has been not being able to find answers when their offensive line can't block. And they kind of found those answers in this game, which is just let them throw downfield. You get, you get the ball out of his hands. They went max protect a lot. They went seven man protections, two got two man routes, throw downfield. He made some sick throws in the mid range area. The throw to Calvin Ridley where it just zipped right past Derek Stingley. Phenomenal throw. There was another Ridley uh, out route that, uh, man, he just zipped it. And I think the thing about this Jaguars game against the Texans was in a battle between two teams with some really high-level talent, the Jaguars stars played better at the most important times. Josh Allen was the best Josh Allen in football on Sunday. And he completely shut down that game at the end, near the end of that drive, near the end of the drive. Um, Trevor Lawrence was really, really good. And now you have the division on lock. And now not only are you thinking about, hey, we can win the division. You, you're thinking, hey, we can win the AFC. Like we can get the number one seed in the AFC. Because the next biggest game you have is a home game against Baltimore. You win this game against Cincinnati on Monday Night Football, and then you go in and beat Baltimore. You have a really good shot of get locking up that one seed because chiefs still have a really, really daunting schedule ahead of them. And the Ravens, you'll have, you'll have the head to head tiebreaker over the Ravens. So now you're not just thinking, Oh, let's just win the division. Now you're thinking, let's get home field advantage and get that first round by to try and get everybody healthy, which in year two of the Doug Peterson kind of regime would be a phenomenal, like this would be way ahead of schedule for this team. What did you see in terms of just watching CJ Stroud up close in this one? What What's the closest similarity or what makes you, if you're a Texans fan, why would you feel best about CJ Stroud and Trevor Lawrence being uh, potentially on the same tier one day? Because 
I think the thing that stood out to most of me about CJ Stroud this game was how he handled pressure. Mm. You know, a lot of the stuff that came out at, uh, during the draft process was he's kind of robotic under pressure. That was kind of it was some of the questions I had about him. But he was beating pressure that Mike Caldwell and the Jaguar threw at him. He beat it with athleticism. He beat it with his mind. He beat it with his arm. He beat it with his legs. He was consistently finding answers. And that's something a lot of young quarterbacks struggle with, finding answers versus pressure. Not only that, but finding their answers versus pressure. You know, Josh Allen, Josh Allen's answers versus pressure aren't going to look the same as Joe Burrow's. Those are two completely different players, two completely different caliber of athletes. But they're both, they're two of the best quarterbacks in the game in the ways that they address and adjust to pressure. CJ Stroud is finding his answers, whether it be by escaping the pocket and using his legs, which he killed the Jaguars with on Sunday, or just beating it with his mind. You know, getting the ball out real quickly, finding the blitz and diagnosing it, find that hole in the zone. It is very repeatable. It's not it's something that gives you a really high floor as a football, as a quarterback. And then you just add on the the high level throws that he makes. You got a guy, you have a dude, you have a certified dude, and the Tex Stroud versus Lawrence should be the next like great quarterback rivalry within the division in the NFL. I like it. On the flip side, though, uh, the Steelers keep winning, unfortunately, for Mr. Jared Bailey, and he's just going to go to war with uh, his own fan base week over week because they just keep winning. His guy, Matt Canada, was fired, which I don't believe uh, happened before last week's pod, uh, so we didn't really get to discuss um, what that looks like for the Steelers. Um, but what did you see uh, for week one without Matt Canada? What looked different? Um, I know Deontay Johnson didn't realize that he had a game to play uh, yesterday in this one that I saw on Twitter briefly. But what did you see from the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in the first week without uh, Matt Canada, Jared Bailey? Well, the offense looked like good, which is weird. Um, now, the one thing that really stood out was the utilization of the middle of the field. And I think that Eddie Faulkner and Mike Sullivan made it a point to do it right away because the first play from, from scrimmage for the Steelers is a play action pass to Pat Fryermuth over the middle for a gain of 24. And if you look at Kenny Pickett's passing charts over the past two weeks, not one pass over the middle of the field. The fact that they did it the first play, I think that was them saying, look, we recognize the issues that were here. We're going we're gonna to try to fix that. And if you look at Kenny Pickett's passing chart throughout the entire day, it looked like an NFL passing chart. This was the best game. I think the most complete game he's had in his career. He went 24, 33, 278. Should have had a touchdown. He threw a dart to Deontay Johnson in the end zone that he should have caught, but he did not. So I can't even blame Kenny Pickett for that. Um, overall, though, he made a lot of really good throws. Um, he, what was his best slot, throw? There was a slot fade to George Pickens um, that he put right in the bread basket, gained 43. He mm. threw a, there was a one-on-one -on -one ball to Deontay Johnson down the right sideline, game 39. Um, and he's talked about this in the past too. Like, Hey, if I see one-on-one -on -one coverage, I'm going to give my guys a chance if, mm. if it's there. So when he did that against Cincinnati, more often than not, it worked out and that doesn't cancel out, you know, the previous 22 games where he hasn't looked great, but seeing this was promising. And if I'm going to be critical of Pickett, then got to give credit where to do like you look at how he stacked up against the rest of the league he was seventh in the league this week in epa per play second in cpoe so i'm not saying that all of a sudden oh okay now now we can see yeah, kenny pickett's a franchise quarterback no i'm not saying that um but like i said credit where to do he played well the offense looked well and for the first time 
since week two of 2020, the Pittsburgh Steelers gained 400 yards of offense. Hmm. So uh, I think fans were sitting at home pointing at their TV going, we effing told you like this shouldn't have taken so long to finally do in terms of firing Matt Canada. And the first game without him, they go over 400 yards, which they never did with him as, as OC. The last time they did it, Randy Feekner was the offensive coordinator. And Kenny Pickett had his best game as a pro. I don't think that's a coincidence. Do I think, like I said, do I think that that makes Kenny Pickett all of a sudden like a franchise quarterback? No, because he still has his own set of problems. But I think that with more competent play callers, more uh, competent offensive coordinators and an offensive game plan, his ceiling goes up a little bit and he played well. Why did they not go over the field though? Like if you had to get in the mind of Matt Canada, why was he so averse to throwing over the middle with Kenny Pickett? If I knew that I'd be the Steelers offensive coordinator right now, man. Um, either, either he didn't believe that Kenny Pickett could, hmm. which I, I kind of tend to lean that way because no, no, offensive game planner no offensive coordinator at the nfl level in their right mind goes into goes into the week and said all right we're not going to use the middle of the field we don't need that uh, it just oh uh, unless you're luke getsy apparently apparently he also does this so there's there is a precedent for it with you know luke getsy and matt canada both seemingly having the same game plan which is outside the numbers screens and that is it um that i don't know man but the fact that he lasted as long as he did is inexcusable and it's malpractice. And the fact that Mike Tomlin let it go on this long, that he deserves a lot of blame for it too. Um, but like you said, they keep winning. They're seven and four. They own the top wild card spot in the AFC, and their next two games are against the Cardinals and the Patriots. They should win both of them. I think they'll go one and one because it's the Steelers, and they don't have a right to underestimate any team right now just because offensively they're still not great. Their quarterback isn't great, and they're playing – a Cardinals team where this feels like a trap game where they're going to underestimate a bad Cardinals team. But Kyler Murray's still there. And I could see them losing that game and then rebounding on Thursday night and beating the Patriots. So if I had to guess right now, they'll be eight and five after these next two games. But if you're eight and five going to what week 15, that's a damn good spot to be in terms of the AFC playoff race. I think the funniest stat that I found about Matt Canada is in the game before the Steelers hired Matt Canada, the Steelers had over 400 yards of offense. In the 44 games with Matt Canada's offensive coordinator, the Steelers did not have over 400 yards of offense. Nope, not once. The first game after firing Matt Canada, the Steelers have over 400 yards of yeah. offense. Like, that's just incredible. Like, it's an incredible bit, you know? And a lot of this, too, and you know, I've talked about this at – you know, acknowledging at this point uh, behind the steel curtain, you know, when we're trying to figure out, okay, who are they going to bring in next as offensive coordinator? Um, well, they, they just got two more potential candidates with uh, former Steelers running back Deuce Staley and Josh McCown, both being let go by Carolina. Um, but a lot of things that the one thing that a lot of fans point out is that is Mike Tomlin going to bring in a guy that he feels can threaten his job as head coach and are the Rooney's, going to cough up big money for a big name offensive coordinator. Like at the end of the day, I don't think that people on the outside realize just how poorly Art Rooney has run the show ever since Dan Rooney passed away. Hmm. And like, if not for Ben Roethlisberger covering up a lot of issues before he retired, like 
you look at the ownership, it's not so much different from the Pirates, where the Steelers at large are a cheap organization that don't like to spend a lot of money, that keep things in-house, and that hurts them a hell of a lot more than it helps them. Um, so as much as I would love to see them go out and get somebody that could really help this offense in terms of hiring an offense coordinator, I'm not going to hold my breath for it because of the reasons I just pointed out. And do I think that there is some of the whole Mike Tomlin doesn't want somebody in the room that could like not necessarily threaten his job, but like, like, like in the situation with Matt Canada and Mike Tomlin, it's very clear that Mike Tomlin's fine. But if you bring in like somebody like an Eric B enemy to run the offense next year, that's a different dynamic. So I, I do think that there is some merit to that. Is that why Byron Leftwich and Todd Haley are coming up right out of the gate here as next OC is that there's no real job threat there in terms of Mike Tomlin's job security where they are trying to both get back in the league basically and kind of revitalize their careers. And I don't know, are you interested in a, a rekindling with Leftwich and or uh, uh, can, uh, Haley? Because the Leftwich stuff is wild. Like we were, we're that feels like forever ago that Leftwich was the OC of a Super Bowl winning quarter uh, team. That was yeah. that feels like forever ago now. No, JP and I talked about this on the last pump fake. Um, and as he so aptly pointed out to me, um, because JP, I, I defer to JP when it comes to like schematic stuff because he is smarter about that one than me. And what he pointed out is, and what, what I've since gone back and tried to you know learn a little bit more about is the way that Byron left, which his scheme works. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, JP. It's more of a vertical based scheme with a lot of power running and the one thing that helped mask any of those issues was that number 12 was under center. You don't have Tom Brady in Pittsburgh right now, and you don't have a guy who can run a vertical base scheme right now in Kenny Pickett. So that is the challenge when it comes to that's, that's the pushback when it comes to hiring Byron Lethwich with Todd Haley. Like they, there was no reason to fire Todd Haley when they did Mike Tomlin wanted a scapegoat because they just lost to Jacksonville in the playoffs in a game that they shouldn't have lost. And somebody had to be fired. And Steelers had one of the best offenses in the NFL for a three-year stretch, and they let go of Todd Haley because somebody needed to be fired. And apparently it wasn't going to be Mike Tomlin. It wasn't going to be Keith Butler. So Todd Haley was the unfortunate scapegoat. Um, in terms of how Kenny Pickett would look in a Todd Haley scheme, I, I don't know. I mean, that when, you had num- when you had Ben Roethlisberger and Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, and at one point Martavis Bryant and then Juju Smith-Schuster, like you had a lot of weapons and a quarterback with a huge arm that could get it to all of them. Steelers have some weapons right now, but it's, you know, younger, some of them not, not proven a lot of immaturity um, and a quarterback who doesn't have a big arm. So trying to find someone who can, because, because it's going to be Pickett in 2024. Like it does not matter how he looks the rest of this year. Mm. The Steelers will give Kenny Pickett a 30. I would bet my life on it. So Whomever comes in is going to have to have Kenny Pickett for at least the first year of of their tenure, and I think that's I I think that could scare some people away. But we'll see. JP, uh, you had Miles Garrett in there at MVP uh, last week on the pod, but without looking, who are the two leaders in sacks right now? Who are the, who's tied? Oh, uh, let's see. Two leaders in sacks is Daniil Hunter, one of them. Mm-hmm. Is it Daniil Hunter and probably TJ Watt or something? It's it is TJ Watt. Watt is TJ Watt kind of deserving some MVP buzz? Does he deserve the same? No. Is he having the same kind of impact for the Steelers as Miles Garrett is? I, I wouldn't say he deserves MVP buzz. Uh, defensive player of the year conversation, sure. 
Um, MVP buzz, no, just okay. because. Um, yeah, I mean, for for the Browns and the Steelers, I mean, you look at just how vastly better the Browns' defense is than Pittsburgh's in every statistical manner. Um, Miles Garrett has had a bigger impact this season, I would say. Um, now, TJ Watt has had a fantastic year. Um, and if you wanted to say that he's played better than Miles Garrett, then fine. But Miles Garrett has, I'd have to pull up the, uh, I don't know if you have them in front of you, JP, in terms of the, the pressure stats and whatnot, but I'm pretty sure right now it's like Max Crosby and Miles Garrett and just about every like hurry statistic, pressure statistic. It, it's those two guys that are pretty much owning the one, two spots. TJ Watt's not going to win defensive player of the year. I, oh, I, I didn't say he was going to. No, I, I think he's in the conversation. I don't think he's going to win it. I think his impact is important to the Steelers' defense, but I also think TJ Watt gets, and it's also like kind of schematic of how mm. the Steelers let TJ Watt play, but he kind of freelances a lot. Like he he has the leeway to kind of just go do what he wants when it comes to rushing the passer and going and making impact plays. He also gets a lot of unblocked sacks, which this which is cool. I'm not saying that's like a bad thing, but. I think when it comes to impact on a team, I think Miles Garrett is still the leader um, for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, if Deron Bland just continues to score on every yeah. interception he he catches, he's probably going to get a lot of votes. Um, Max Crosby would probably be my second vote because mm. there's no reason that the Raiders should be in the spot where they are. But Max Crosby is once again going to lead almost every player on, on the defensive line in snaps and pressure rate and top five in sacks. I'd also put Dexter Lawrence up there for Defensive Player of the Year because he, if Max Crosby isn't leading the defensive line in the snaps, it's Dexter Lawrence as a 340-pound nose tackle and is also leading all defensive tackles in pressure rate. Like, that's absurd, you mm -hmm. know? So I think there are a lot of really fun names at Defensive Player of the Year, but I just don't know if T.J. Watt is going to have the – he's not going to have the historic sack season to kind of back up the – the not having the same amount of pass rush wins or pressures as the other guys. I think it would take him breaking the sack record this year, like officially breaking it, not just tying it. Like he would have to probably get like 23, 24 sacks. Cause right now if he goes on like a sack and a half pace the rest of the year, he would break it. But I mean, that would be, that's a tough pace to, to keep for a seven game stretch. We'll see. We shall see. Um, JP, when you look at uh, what happened with the Panthers here uh, today, David Tepper with another firing uh, across Charlotte FC and uh, the Carolina Panthers, a lot of firings early on here um, in his Charlotte uh, team ownership days. But this was kind of wild. I think we thought that he might be a one and done on this very program for a while. But, I mean, Josh McCown out, to Staley out. Um, Carolina cleaning house across the board, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think Jim Caldwell is like the offensive advisor, uh, the rest of the way, which again, Jim Caldwell should have just been an offensive coordinator for like the last 10 years. Like the guy, Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator. I don't know. Super Bowl, uh, appearing coach. I've just always liked Jim Caldwell. Like he's just a solid OC, uh, and should be, it should have been calling plays for the last couple of years for somebody. Uh, but JP, with uh, Frank now out in Carolina, how big of a deal is this? Uh, how much does this make you worry about Bryce Young's future and development in Carolina? And what would you do if uh, you're in David Tepper's shoes going forward? 
So first of all, I think this is among the potential coaching openings. This has to be one of the worst in the NFL. Mm. And the reason I say that is because, first of all, you have no first round draft pick this year. That belongs to the Bears. Uh, second of all, your free agents include Jeremy Chin and Brian Burns, who mm. still hasn't been paid yet. You got to figure out a way to pay both those guys because those are impact players on the defense. Third, you have no impact offensive player. And without a draft pick and without a lot of cap space, you're stuck with Jonathan Mingo, LaVisca Chanel, and Adam Thielen for one more year. And the offensive line has not played very well. Fourth, David Tepper is notoriously impatient. This is his fourth mm. head coach he's hired for the Panthers since 2018. He is going to have a short leash. He has always been far too involved in the metal, in the day-to-day workings of the Carolina Panthers. This is not a job that's going to be like a first priority, like, hey, I want to go coach this team. And it's sad because you have the former number one overall pick, but nobody's going to be like, hey, I want to coach this team because there's nothing there. There's really nothing there. I worry a little bit about Bryce Young because I don't want him to generate scar tissue from this first year. You know, it's kind of like when Trevor Lawrence was in his rookie year at the Jaguars and he had receivers running into each other. Like the the hope was you don't develop the bad habits. You don't make the bad habits worse habits. You don't end up like a guy like Kenny Pickett, who has not developed from the scar tissue they, that he had the first year in his uh in Pittsburgh. I just I don't have a lot of faith, don't have a lot of hope. For the for the Panthers, um, it's going to be really tough to convince any like hot shot offensive mind to take this job when you don't have a lot of resources and you don't have an owner who's willing to say, "Hey, you go do this. Let me back out of it." So, and this I sounds think, like Jim Harbaugh to me. I don't think Jim Harbaugh is going to take that job. Okay. I think Jim Harbaugh is a. Uh, I know that he coached the 49ers, but I think he is mm. a Midwestern coach. Mm. So if there's any NFL job he's going to take, it's the Bears. But uh, the mm. first name I thought of that made me laugh when it comes to this job is Lincoln Riley. That that would be incredibly funny to me. Um, that man has not won meaningful games at the college level, so let's bring him to the NFL level. But in all seriousness, I think if you can get a guy like Bobby Slowick away – from the Houston Texans that might work. Uh, Frank Smith, offense coordinator for the Miami Dolphins. I would love to see Bryce Young in a Miami Dolphins kind of schemed up offense because Mm. he and Tua share a lot of similarities in how they approach the game, how they play the game. Um, Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I'm blanking on uh, his name. Uh, But I think it's the, mm, the pass game coordinator for the 49ers as well. Um, but it's going to be really hard to convince a coordinator, a up and coming coach to take this job because of how little the resources are on this, in this room, in the, in Carolina, you don't have a lot you're working with. A name out of, uh, might be a little bit out of left field, but I saw, uh, I think it was Emery Hunt from CBS sports recommended, uh, Pep Hamilton, maybe mm. if, if nobody else really wants to, I mean, he's been, he was a head coach in the XFL and did really, really well. Uh, he's been on multiple NFL staffs uh, as, you know, offensive specialist, passing game coordinator, things of that sort. Um, so if we want to see, you know, somebody get a first-time head coaching gig, uh, he could be a name that's that's in the mix. Uh, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be fun to see. But, I mean, like JP said, the fact that 
for all the reasons you just pointed out, you don't have a first round pick. You got no impact players. Like you're thrown to cereal boxes for the next year. And I don't know. What's uh, what's Carolina's cap situation look like right now, JP? I don't know if you have Let's over the cap in up. front of you. Because even, even without having the draft capital, if you got money and you can try to lure somebody away to be a go-to receiver, then that's cool. But at the same time, who the hell is going to want to come play there when you've got a t- an owner who's too hands-on, who's too impatient, and uh, like like if I'm T. Higgins mm-hmm. and Carolina calls my, I don't want to go to Carolina. So I think it's going to be hard to lure big name guys there to be like a go-to receiver, and especially because like we're we've seen situations where it's worked out. We saw mm-hmm. seeing AJ Brown in Philadelphia, Stefan Diggs in Buffalo, but we've also seen DJ Moore in Chicago, and the Bills or the Bears are still bad. So th- those are things to weigh if you're a receiver. Like, yeah, if they had the cap space and could throw money at a guy like T. Higgins, that's cool. But if I'm T. Higgins, I'm very much monitoring the situation and looking at what their coaching staff is before I even consider doing that. So they currently have, for 2024, the 13th most cap space in the NFL. But this is without paying Brian Burns yet. Right. And without mm. paying Jeremy Chin. I think – it would have been in their best interest if they traded Brian Burns yeah. to try and get the first round pick back. But now that you have him on the team, he is on your team. You better extend him. Like you better keep him around. Cause that's a really good football player. If you look at their. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Upcoming free agents. I mean, I just Justin Houston is going to be a free agent. DJ Chark, free agent. Frankie Louvu, who's been phenomenal, free agent. He's been very good. Brian Burns, free agent. Um, Jeremy Chin's going to be a free agent. Troy Hills, free agent. Most of your impact defenders are going to be gone. Mm. So you got to find out a, a way to pay all those guys, but also lure in offensive players for free agency, but also be able to draft on days two and three and find impact players there, which is very, very hard. Like, I think finding Amon Ross St. Brown, finding guys like Brock Purdy on day two and day three of the draft have kind of skewed, like, what people think day two and day three of the draft are. It's really hard to find impact players on those days. So, now you got to do that. You're not going to have the blue chip first round pick. It's looking rough. It's If you take this job, you have to be guaranteed that you're going to get at least a good four years, three yeah. to four years to try and turn this around. 
I think it's also a job that maybe if you're a coach who got fired after one stop and you just you think this might be your only way back at another opportunity where look like you said with somebody like you the younger coaches the guys who might not get coach uh, opportunity number two you have to be very selective and very careful here in terms of contract and timeline and that sort of thing but i wonder if because the situation is so dire that carolina goes with a bridge guy without announcing it's a bridge guy where vic uh, fangio like a, like a david Colley situation david Colley kind of but i mean vic fangio would not surprise me maybe you go back to um uh what's his name uh why am i blanking on um oh uh sean mcdermott if he gets fired by buffalo after this year i can 100 percent see a swap sean mcdermott i don't think that that's a bridge though like if they hire sean mcdermott then that's i could see a swap there couldn't you like some kind of thing where it's a soft landing and because i just feel like it's ending with mcdermott this year in buffalo and i don't think he'll be out of a job very long so I don't think Vic Fangio is going to take a head coaching job. I think he's perfectly fine being a defense hmm. coordinator. Some guys are cool with just drawing up cool plays. Like, yeah. I think Ben Johnson very quietly is in this range. Or like, he doesn't have to be a head coach. He's cool drawing up plays only. Vic Fangio is really just fine hmm. drawing up defenses. I mean, he basically has revolutionized modern defenses in the NFL next to Bill Belichick. Um, Anthony Lynn, also a potential Name their assistant head coach for 49ers, running backs mm-hmm. coach right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know if – I don't know if this would happen, but it would be incredibly funny if David Tepper called Steve Wilkes again and was mm-hmm. like, hey, do you want to come back and actually get the job? If I was Steve Wilkes, I'd be like, hell no. Yeah, no. Nah. You kick rocks. Yeah, go go kick rocks. You didn't hire me the first time. You're not going to hire me now. Um, it's just going to be a really tough. It's going to be a really tough hire for a new coach. Like if you're a first year guy, I wouldn't go to Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think this is a you bring in an experienced person who knows how to like write the ship or at mm-hmm. least get some baseline level of play. Maybe. In NFL I think it's kind of like kind of like Lovey Smith in Houston. Maybe like an NFL coach who was out of the league for like a year or so. Like, who's the best answer here? Then that's what I'm trying to think of. Zimmer. You know what? I don't hate that. I don't hate it, but I also don't. What think is he Mike doing Zimmer. now? Actually, what is Mike Zimmer up to right Bro now? Bro is chilling with Minnesota Vikings payout money. He is okay. fine. Zimmer is just like, I mean, he's 67, but Zimmer just quietly, he was never, like, he's 72 and 56 and one as a star, as a head coach. Like, you're looking at these seasons, it's like seven wins, 11 wins, eight wins, 13 wins, eight wins, 10 wins, seven wins, so eight wins. The last thing Mike Zimmer was doing, he was an analyst for Deion Sanders at Jackson State. Oh. So I don't know if Mike Zimmer would actually want to come back to coaching in the NFL because of the way it ended in Minnesota where it was very like rigid, hard ass. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know if he would want to come back to that, but I just feel like Mike Zimmer's pissed off all the time. Yeah, you never know. And you I don't know if you want those vibes around I I might all right here's here's a fun one. What about a you said a guy who's been out of the league for maybe a year. How about more than a year? Similar to like the groom route. What about Marvin Lewis? I honestly would like that. I think Marvin Lewis deserves another shot 
in the NFL as a head coach. And he was Cincinnati for a very long time. He, he should be able to right the ship or at least get them back to a baseline level of play. Yeah. Like it's you just gotta find someone who can bring some stability. But I think Tepper is going to go for the big swing here. I think he wants big fish. Like he wants to go bold, flashy. But he well, also Har- does- Harbaugh would probably be the biggest fish that he could land in that situation, then, right? Mm. In terms of big and flashy. Yeah, but I don't think again, I don't think Harbaugh would take that job. I don't think he would either. But I'm saying if they're gonna push for big and flashy, that would be uh, who I would expect them to push after. I mean, I think a lot of Panthers fans are circling Ben Johnson, but I don't think he's taking that job. If he if he does take a head coaching job, it's not going to be Carolina. Mm. So, uh, Lou Anarumo, I don't know if he would go there. Stuff. So what happens? I just don't you, think it's going to be a good hire, like this. right? Like I just don't think it really matters because I think they're just kind of stuck. And then if you're like Bryce Young, I mean, is it? Are are you just? At the point because of where this situation is it's not really on bryce or have you seen enough from bryce this year where you're like i think bryce just might not be a franchise long-term answer at quarterback which way are you leaning more i think it's year one i think you cannot yeah. make a good judgment of bryce young in year one with everything around him going wrong i mean he had two different play callers taking over at three different times yeah he mm-hmm. has his best receiver is a 30 plus adam thielen there's not much to work with here. So you need to get somebody to bring him back to at least a baseline level of play, which is why did you, you see that Mingo experience guy. Did you see that Mingo reception or not? Bro, reception? He jumped out of bounds. Mm-hmm. He did a people's elbow to the turf <laughs> rather than get his feet. in. yeah, that was hilarious. That's one of my favorite things I've ever seen. And I did love the comments. Like one of those where I'm like, oh, why? Like it's one of those jarring things where you did need to do that. Like it was one of those where I don't even know if you're a position coach, like what you even say. Like Mingo has run that route so many times in his life. And he just was like, I'm going to freestyle here. I'm going to do whatever I want to do and right that's now. like another thing when we're talking about Bryce, like that's that's what he's working with. He's working with Jonathan Mingo, LaVisca yeah. Chanel, Adam Thielen. Like they signed Miles Sanders, who's done next to nothing. They, they don't have anything there. And yeah. for for a team that like actually had expectations to like maybe make a run at the NFC South coming into this year, with the fact that they had Bryce Young and Frank Reich was coming in, and they built this really like good staff. They brought over uh, Azure Evero from Denver. Like this was an exciting offseason for the Panthers, and shit had just completely hit the fan with Tepper being too hands on, the constant, the multiple change of play callers. It's just a lot to put on him, um, and like it's not. Well, we look at it like on a scale, like mm. zero being urban in Jacksonville compared to, I don't know, what was like the perfect, like Dak and his rookie year in Dallas mm. where just everything was was perfect. Like it's a hell of a lot closer to being zero than it is being 10. So yeah. I, I don't think we can put a lot of this on Bryce. Even, even yesterday, like Bryce made a few plays where you're like, okay, like there's clearly something there. Like he made a scramble. He broke, I think like 37 tackles. In one play uh, to run for a first down, like clearly the athleticism is there. Yes, the size is—if you—it's a question mark being how small he is and whatnot with the offensive line issues that they have. But I, it, I agree with JP where we can't just be like, "Yep, yeah, there's nothing there." Brace Young, mm. way too much going against him as a first-year quarterback. Where we can we can make any sort of you know decent analysis uh, of how he's played. Um, 
Well, let's go to this. Who you got? Russell Wilson or Sean Payton? Who is most responsible for the Broncos' win streak? Uh, let's start with you, Jarrett. I mean, it's got to you got to say Payton. And that's no okay. dis- disrespect to to Russ, but we saw what he was last year, and now we're seeing what he is this year, and a lot of that has to do with with Sean Payton coming in. Um, but you look at Russ's numbers, like I test. If you like watch any of Denver, like those don't necessarily reflect how he's played, mm. but he's played a hell of a lot better than he did last year. Um, and a lot of that boils down to the fact that he has one of the best play callers of the last era in his helmet on the sideline. Um, and they started off roughly and started off one four, but now they've won, won what, like five in a row. And they're right in the thick of being in the AFC playoff race. The defense has gotten a lot better too since they allowed 70 to Miami. So I think everybody after that game kind of reassessed the season a little bit. I, mm. I think really after the uh, the loss to the Jets, because I think that was the last time they lost, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, just really had to reassess the, the entire situation and figure out where to go from there. Um, but Sean Payton's done a really good job. Russ has done a really good job too. Like he's had two of the craziest touchdown passes of the season. Mm. Um, he The one to Cortland Sutton against... It was against Buffalo that he threw the the greatest. There was one pass. against Buffalo, and there was one against the Vikings that were both pretty insane. And he threw one in the red zone uh, against Cleveland yesterday that wasn't as like crazy as those other two. But I mean, he's running around and guns it to the to the front pylon for a touchdown. Like we're seeing a lot of old Russ come back, and I think coming into this week he had 17 touchdowns and no picks in the red zone. That's pretty damn good. So. Uh, and we've talked about this on the show before. They're not asking him to be, you know, peak Russ. They're asking him to hand the ball off. And if we get in a third and four, third and five, okay, Russ, convert this third down. Mm. That's all they really need him to do. They don't need him to be Superman. He he can just be, like, if we're looking at NFL Super Friends, if we're looking at it from a Super Friends perspective, like, mm. they don't need him to be Superman. They don't need him to be Batman. They just need him to be, like, Green Lantern. They need him to be Martian Manhunter. Like, he can mm. be this complimentary piece to the Justice League that, you know, when he does his part right, then great. As long as everybody else, you know, Sean Payton's being, you know, Batman and the defense is being, you know, the Flash and Wonder Woman. Everything else is taking care of business, but they need Russ to, to play his part too. So um, he's been a, a vital part of what they've done, but he hasn't had to be, you know, the main reason why they've been successful. So in this win streak, which started in week seven, uh, since from week seven on, per Ben Baldwin's site at The Athletic, the Denver Broncos' early down pass rate is 44.3%, which is 31st in the entire NFL. Mm. Like, I think before the season, I wrote about what a successful Denver Broncos offense looks like mm. with Russell Wilson as your quarterback. I think this is what I kind of expected. You want him to kind of game manage the the game along, but – when it comes time to make the throws, mm. this is the entire thing with Sean Payton. Sean Payton's basically told Russ, if it's not there, just run. Mm. But when it comes time to make the throws in the high leverage situations, like Jared was talking about, in the red zone, on third downs, that's when Russ has that's when Russ gets to cook, you know? It's mm. not exactly like you're making a five-star meal, it's just TV dinners, you know? Yeah. Let let Russ make a TV dinner. And I think where the improvement has come is along the offensive line. With the running game, I think Russ has done really good in terms of not making the back-breaking mistakes that he was last year. 
But I also think a lot of it is due to, you know, he hasn't had to throw the ball a lot. He doesn't need to throw the ball a lot with this offense, with this game plan. And the defense has played phenomenally since getting Baron Browning back. I do think there is something to, like, you know, you get to play Minnesota and Cleveland and the Packers as three games, as this two-game, as this five-game win streak. But you did beat Buffalo on the road, and you also did beat Kansas City in a game where the Chiefs only scored nine points. So there is, like, it's not just a lot of noise against bad teams. It's, you know, they've played pretty well. And I think the biggest thing is Sean Payton finally getting a – we know what a successful offense for Russ looks like. And it might not be, like, the high-flying, explosive, like, 2020 Seahawks first half of the season Russ offense, but it's effective, and it's helping the Broncos win games. And it's interesting. I just think I'm – I, I think it's fun to see this uh, Sean Payton bump here uh, down the stretch. And, I mean, they're an interesting team if they make it into the playoffs. Like, obviously, they're not going to win the division. But, like, depending on the matchups, that could be f- spicy. Like, I think they're one of the more spicier teams that you don't want Sean Payton and Russell Wilson and the way that the Broncos are playing right now, where, to y'all's point, they've kind of figured out the best way to utilize Russ. The defense is a lot better than what it was. Um I don't know. Is there a team that like they match up like when we're it's uh, still a little early to think uh, playoff matchups, but in terms of the division leaders, who potentially matches up the worst in a first round spot with the Broncos? Who would want to play them the least? Ooh, who would want to play them the least? I mean, the Chiefs. Hmm. But we're only saying I that guess. because this would be the third time that they played them. Yeah. I mean, the other three division leaders are the Dolphins, who put 70 on that team. right. And the Jaguars, who I don't think are a good matchup for the Broncos. And then the Ravens, who are the one seed right now. Mm. So by process of elimination, it's the team that you already beat so far this season. That'd be interesting, man. The the meltdown of the Chiefs if they were to go down to the Broncos in the first round of the playoffs. Here's the thing with that, man. I'll say this about that. If if the Chiefs were to play the Broncos again – I think the Chiefs win by four scores. And that's nothing against it's nothing against Denver, but I think that there is something to say for you know, the Chiefs one of my, one of my closest friends in, in media, Matt Vergram of Sports Illustrated, made this point to me. Like it's not that the Chiefs don't care, but like when at this point in the year, like it's not the beginning of the year where you're really amped up and it's not, you know, necessarily the final couple of weeks where like you're gearing up for the playoffs. It was a middle of the year. Like they could have got off the plane, be like, all right, what city are we in? Oh, we're in Denver. All right. Yeah, I guess we'll go play. I just don't think they could have been bothered. But when it's January and it's playoff time and the Chiefs are equally as amped up to play as Denver is there, it's not a competition. So I'm not trying to take anything away from from Denver. If they beat them, they deserve to win, and they made Patrick Holmes look bad in the game in which they beat them. But an amped-up Chiefs team against an amped-up Broncos team, I'm taking Kansas City by a comfortable margin. Of course, but I don't know. I just... When it comes to the question Chase asked about... Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't wasn't shitting on your answer, by the way, JP. I I don't know. I... I'm just not comfortable choosing them against a team that they lost by 50 points to. No, no, absolutely not. The other two teams are really good. Absolutely. Yes. There you go. Um, Jarrett, buy or sell. It's time for McDermott to go in Buffalo after the latest 
close loss to the Eagles where they were better than the Eagles for the majority of that game yesterday. It was a fun game. I very much enjoyed watching that uh, from start to finish, but ugly, ugly loss uh, for the Bills once again. Is it time for McDermott to go in Buffalo? It's absolutely time for Sean McDermott to go. It was time to go after the loss to Denver because Mm. so let's I and I wrote about this on USA Today today because I just I needed to get everything out about how I feel about the Buffalo Bills. Mm. Um, So they're six and six right now. They have had three losses this season where Josh Allen has put them up with less than two minutes to play and the defense has blown it. And we can talk all we want as everybody loves to do with Josh Allen and point the finger. Yep. Josh Allen's fault. Bills are six and six. Ah, Josh Allen's got to be better. Well, Josh Allen is the judge, jury and executioner of the Buffalo bills. And when he's expected to do so much and is throwing the ball more than the average quarterback and is running the ball more than the average quarterback, naturally there's going to be the up in turnovers per game. But you look at his interception rate, he's got a 3% interception rate right now. Tua and Jalen Hurts are each hovering around 2.7. Patrick Mahomes is hovering around 2.6. Like, Mm. it's not as if he is turning the ball over drastically more than the other people, than other quarterbacks are per attempt or per touch. It's just the fact that he is expected to do more per game where the numbers get jacked up a little bit. So, but back to my point about the defense blowing games. Mm. It wasn't Josh Allen who let Mac Jones march down the field with less than two minutes left and look like Joe Montana to score and win with less than 10 seconds left. Josh Allen didn't have a 12th guy on the field against Denver on a missed field goal that led to the Broncos being able to kick a game-winning field goal again. Josh Allen didn't get ultra-conservative with 20 seconds left and take a knee, tuck his tail to go in overtime, and then play super-conservative defense on third and four, playing soft coverage, leading to a Devontae Smith catch, that then led to a Jalen Hurts touchdown run where uh, I think it was uh, Jordan Mailata was talking after the game. He's like, we were incredibly surprised that the Bills didn't see the quarterback draw coming because it's such a vital part of what we do. And Mike, if you look at the All-22 of it, Micah Hyde cuts across to like the right side of the field. And as soon as that happens and, and Jalen pulls the ball to run, you already knew it was over because there was no safety help over the top. So none of those are on... Josh Allen, they could very well be nine and three right now. And if they were, Josh Allen would probably be at the top of the MVP conversation because of how well he's played. He leads the NFL in total touchdowns by a comfortable margin right now. And by and large, Sean McDermott has let them down. And it's not just a this season thing. It's the 13 seconds thing against Kansas City. And over the past 22 months, he has spent every resource that he can in times of trouble finding scapegoats. 13 seconds against Kansas City. Oh, Leslie Frazier mutual parting of ways air quotes around that um offense is struggling without you know after brian dable leaves oh that's ken dorsey's fault granted ken dorsey wasn't doing great but Mm. you know everything that has been wrong with the buffalo bills over the past almost two years now can be pointed back at sean mcdermott and now they're the bell's tolling again and he is out of people to fire and it's time for him to to pay the ferryman, for for lack of a better term. The, if you're the Buffalo Bills, you are doing a disservice to your team. You're doing a disservice to Josh Allen if you roll him back as head coach next year. They can't do it. They cannot bring him back. Is that so the best I, job in the market, potentially, this offseason? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Because you get the quarterback. Like, that's... That, it's going to be, like, if you're a head coach, it's going to be the Bills and probably the Chargers as the two best coaches just because, you, okay, you get to choose between Justin Herbert and Josh Allen. 
So th- those are two pretty mm. alluring, alluring jobs. I think my biggest thing with Sean McDermott, especially when it comes to the Eagles game, is the biggest reason the Bills lost that game is because Sean McDermott coached to not lose. Yes. Mm. And Nick Sirianni and the Eagles coached to win. They played to win. Um, not trying to score with 20 seconds left and you have a timeout. With that transformer last, at quarterback? And not only that, when last Thanksgiving you did the same thing and won against the Detroit Lions, it looks very funny. But, you know, I just think this Bills loss was the perfect encapsulation of the 2023 Bills. Mm. Um, Josh Allen plays great, but this team is not good. Like, the team outside of Josh Allen is not good. Gabe Davis is not a good receiver. No. Like, he is, and I tweeted this, he is football J.R. Smith. He will make the contested catches and the highlight reel plays that look awesome, but then he'll also forget where the ball is and just completely lose track of the ball on a game-winning touchdown. Um, The Bills' defense is not good right now. I mean – they played their best game of the year, like arguably the best game of the year. I mean, the Commanders game was real early, but they played their best football for like three and a half quarters against the Eagles, and then the Eagles figured out what their problem was. But this is this was just the Bills. This is what the Bills are this year, and they are not good enough. And that hmm. falls more on Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott than it does like any of the players on the team. I do like. I would like to say though. The Eagles are the best team in football. I yeah. I think there are going to be a lot of comparisons made to the Vikings last year with how many games they win by one score. This is completely different. And I wrote about it today. This is completely different from the Vikings because the Vikings were one of the most high variance teams in the NFL. If you go to FD and Fantasy, check variance. They're one of the most high variance teams in the NFL. They had a lot of fluky plays go their way. An example, the Justin Jefferson catch in Buffalo last year. Dude, 99 times out of 100, the catch does not happen. But in this reality, it does. The Eagles are not a high-variance team. They are one of the top 10 teams in variance this year, which just means they are consistently playing good football. And what they do is it's just like they are so much – the Eagles are so much a reflection of the Philadelphia, like, city and, like, Rocky as a boxer because they're never out of a fight. You have to you have to knock them out. You have to really you have to put them away because as soon as you give them a sliver of daylight, they're going to blow it up and they're going to score and they're going to get back into a game. It's winning in the margins. It's winning within like it's being as aggressive as they are on fourth down. I hate that they run all the QB draws on third and long. It is their go-to play. I think per Sports Info Solutions. Jalen Hurts leads all ball carriers on plays that on non-scramble carries on third and seven or more. Like that is not a sustainable way of getting offense and it's going to hurt Jalen Hurts in the long run. But the reason they do that is because they don't have to get all those yards back on, on that play. They can get it, get it to fourth and one or fourth and inches or even fourth and two if they wanted to. And they have the most efficient play in football and they can continue their drives they have the dudes necessary to continue to lull and kind of figure things out with the offense. And when they do, they have Devontae Smith. They have A.J. Brown. They have Jalen Hurts, who made a phenomenal throw 
to Olamide Zacchaeus to yeah. give them the touchdown, give them the lead. And then they had the defense that has dudes, you know, they they, they can just out dude you. And that's what makes them the best team in football because they not only do that, but they also know they have those dudes. They can maximize those margins. They can go for it on fourth downs. They can be as aggressive as they are trying to go down the field and score every time. And that's what we mean by playing to win versus playing to not lose. It's the difference between a Sean McDermott and a Nick Sirianni this year. And you, you talked about the throw to Zacchaeus. So set up by a really good uh uh, coverage disguise by by Philadelphia, where um, Philadelphia got pressure off the left side, and um, Bradbury uh, came off of the deep route and stayed underneath. Josh didn't see it; he throws it to the flat. Bradbury's still there, and then that sets up the uh, touchdown throw to Zacchaeus. Um, so, really, just they are as complementary as a football team as you can get in the NFL right now in terms of the dudes that they have on both sides of the ball. And even when they don't play their best football for three quarters, they're still going to be in it. And, you know, if, if that's the case, they're going to be hard to beat where yeah. as corny as it might be where, you know, Jalen has the, uh, you know, the, the confetti or whatever as his wallpaper on his phone or whatever. Like, I would not shock me whatsoever if they are back in the Super Bowl in February and if they're winning it this time around, because this is as complete a team as there is in the league. And they're doing all this mm-hmm. without really having answers on offense. I wrote about it today. They, their offense has kind of taken a dip in efficiency this year. Like it's it's taken a small dip, but it's noticeable. But it doesn't matter because they're ten and one. <laughs> like they can do so many different things to opponents. And again, like you said, they can hang around with teams. Mm. Like they don't have to blow teams out of the water up front. Like they can continue to hang around. They can lurk around. And then as soon as you make a mistake, they're gonna jump on you. It's like Y'all remember that movie Real Steel? Where uh never saw it. Okay, it's about robot boxing. It's really cool. Okay. okay, I do remember it now. All right. Yeah, and I think Hugh Jackman is like the main character in the yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of my favorite parts of the movie is a fight where the robot, the main character robot, is just ducking in the corner, getting battered, getting mm. destroyed. And at the last moment, Hugh Jackman's like, wait, wait, wait. And then now. And then the other te- the other robot fighter fizzles out, and then the other the main character robot starts going in. That's the Eagles. They can withstand all the punches you throw at them. They can go down twenty four to fourteen like they did against the Bills and come out to win the game. They can they can take fights into the eleventh and twelfth round, and they will win those fights because that's just who they are. They are battle tested. They have the best offensive line in football. With even without Lane Johnson, they're doing some really cool stuff. But they can max. Their floor is so high when it comes to like NFL teams. Their floor is, oh, we can just run the ball down your throat for the entire game, and you're not going to do anything about it. Especially when Jalen Hurts gets back healthy, like they they have so many options, and I think that is the most impressive thing about this team. I like it. Well, we will leave it there on this edition of the NFL Super Friends. Uh, Jarrett, what can the good books check out from you over uh, on the internet this week? Yeah, like I said, I wrote about the uh, the Bills and how Sean McDermott is really letting them down right now. Um, so I wrote about that today on USA Today. 
uh, power rankings as well. Those are out now. If you're listening to this as a podcast, they are out. Uh, and then I did a fun list. Um, you know, we've had a lot of like, who's that guy playing quarterback this season. So I wrote about five quarterbacks that nobody remembers, mm-hmm. uh, but who actually started games in the NFL. So if you want to go read about Brian St. Pierre, please go read uh, that little list uh, over at USA Today. And then everything behind the steel curtain. Um, I do want to shout out my staff, though, behind the steel curtain, because when me and Kate uh, took this over, it, like right before training camp, we had mm-hmm. to you know, build build it back up from scratch. And we didn't know how this thing was going to look. But in terms of like our, our our numbers over the last couple months, we have set records for our personal, our, our Steelers site over at SB Nation. And we are very thankful for everybody who's reading, but also for the staff who has done a tremendous job. So can't thank everybody enough for reading that, but also to our awesome, our awesome staff. So very thankful for everybody who's reading the stuff behind the steel curtain and USA Today. Uh, you are, you're helping me out very much. So I appreciate that. There you go. We love to see it. We love to see it, Jared. Um, and subscribe to the Pump Pick on YouTube. Uh, go yes, please do that. Jared Bailey's channel. Um, JP, what about you? Uh, establish the fun. Uh, SB Nation NFL podcast, SBNation.com. In general, what uh, can the good folks check out from you this week? So, of course, every Friday, establish the fun. We got another three-pack of fun things coming at you. I don't know what it's going to be about this week, but with conference championships beginning in college football this weekend, going to be some fun things going to be some fun games going around um like i said wrote about the philadelphia eagles today and why their 20 their 10 and 1 record means they're actually just very good at football um also wrote today about firing ohio state head coach ryan day for the same reason that a lot of people want sean mcdermott fired um gonna be tweeting a lot watching a lot of football watching a lot of film so to follow along i'm also posting film on threads now i didn't realize you could do that so follow on threads at jp 32 mm. and then we also also have a podcast uh sorry no podcast today started with my friend started some different group of friends and we just talk about everything when it comes to football college football nfl things of that nature so just follow along on twitter see what i'm doing see where i'm going there you go we love it we love it folks uh jp jarrett Thank you guys, as always. Evan, miss you this week. Happy back next week. And uh, that's another episode of the NFL Super Runs. One of your favorite things uh, to listen to each and every week. So appreciate you all. And uh, I will talk to you all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash 
Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.